Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with our chief wrestler and wrestling coach, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. So this week, uh, we received some interesting feedback from a couple of high school listeners, Father Len. First, I think it's good to know we actually have high school listeners. It's something we hoped for when we began doing the podcast. So I think we should uh, thank them for listening and thank them for their feedback. Yeah, I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, yeah me too. I think it's cool. So here's what they told us. Uh, one is a comment with uh, what I'd say is a rather strong suggestion for us. And the other is a question. And, well, they may not appear to be related kind of on the surface. I, I think they are. And I think you'll find that to be the case. So the one listener wrote, the words God-fearing have a negative connotation and should be avoided because it scares off younger audiences and causes some hard feelings. Now, and I'm suspecting that this listener may be commenting on the description of the podcast where we refer yeah. to ourselves as two fun-loving and God-fearing Irishmen. Uh, I think that maybe is where that yes. came from. And the other one is a question for us uh, that, again, I think may have some relation to the first, this God-fearing idea. And that is, uh, the question is, if God is a complete mystery, why do we try so hard to understand God? So, Father Lynn, let's, let's do a little wrestling with, uh, with this comment and, and question and see if we can kind of sort out what... Uh, uh, fearing God means and why we might want to understand this mystery of God. Well, I love the feedback. And I, for the kid who said that we shouldn't use the phrase God fearing, I mean, clearly <laughs> he is headed towards marketing. He's headed toward marketing? <laughs> so you th should we drop it? Shall I pull it off the website right now? And no, because I don't think all marketing is right. Oh, okay. Uh, I love the contrast of fun-loving and God-fearing. Fun, <laughs> fear, they go together. But I guess to seriously answer your statement, there's a line in C.S. Lewis about Avalon. Uh, Avalon is uh, the lion, right, who symbolizes Christ, and he's this huge lion. And one of the girls, I can't remember the setting, but one of the girls says, is he a good lion? And he said, yes, he's very good. And then she becomes frightened because he's so powerful. And the guy says, I said he was good. I didn't say he was tame. <laughs> and there is this kind of taming of God that happens in society, that God is your baseball buddy in the sky. You know, God is just a little puppy. That it diminishes God in some ways. And I get the guy feels that we should avoid mentioning the fear of the Lord, because it might make people uncomfortable. But maybe being a little uncomfortable is what's needed. And a healthy respect for God, and that's what it means by fear, is maybe what our culture needs, maybe what the church needs, rather than easily dismissing it. And the problem is, fear of the Lord does not mean being afraid. Uh, fear of the Lord it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's listed as at one of the top seven gifts. It's one of the greatest. But there's a difference between fear and terror. The early church father said, terror makes you want to hide. 
It creates you to become this coward of God. So fear of the Lord is not terror. Terror of the Lord is a cancer on the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord should be translated awe. And awe, it draws you in. It makes you take life more serious. And if you notice in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in paradise had fear of the Lord. They wanted to do the will of God. They were awed by God. And they didn't take the God with this flippant casualness. And so like that, I think, is needed, is kind of some awe and respect. And I remember as a kid, it just struck me as so incredibly odd that a friend of mine was talking to his mother, and he called his mother by, his, by her first name. And he said something like, Karen, I don't want to. And I remember just being absolutely shocked because I would never have called my mother by her first name. Yeah, nor I would I. I. I just, I was shocked at the kind of the casual downgrading. And I didn't fear my mother. She was always really very, very sweet. But I did have kind of a healthy respect fear. And as I said, I, I was shocked at the flippantness of the relationship to his mother. And that's what fear of the Lord is. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they lost the fear of the Lord. It was replaced with terror of the Lord. That's why they hide from God immediately. Fear of the Lord and terror of the Lord are not the same thing. Fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid, but awed. And with awe comes a sense of profundity. I remember when... I think the first time I read this line in the Bible, uh, which is repeated multiple times, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think I was thinking of why do I want to be terrified and how does being terrified help me gain wisdom? Yeah, you know, I don't, th I don't think I understood it, you know. Fear, a little bit more fear in the world will not help us. <laughs> no, I just, I was trying to reconcile that whole thing, you know, at first. It, it is awe, but with awe does come a sense of overwhelmingness, of fear, a type of fear, but it's not terror. And I remember once, I love this. This is a great experience. I was in California, and I loved the water, so I went to the beach. And lo and behold, there was a school of dolphins swimming by. And so I just hightailed it into the water. And I am really good at swimming. I mean, I am a fish in water. I, yeah, you've told me that. I haven't witnessed it, but uh, I'm No, I'm you've assuming... only wish, witnessed the fact that I'm a fish out of water uh, <laughs> most of my life. But I love water. And so I have no fear. I love it. So I go running in. To swim with dolphins would be such a great experience. Except when I get out there, it's amazing how loud they are with their clicking. And I was trying to swim with them, but suddenly I was overwhelmed, not just with the beauty and the awe of it, but I was afraid. I was like, oh my gosh, what if one of them hits me with their nose? Or like, <laughs> I was just alive. I was alive and tingling and, you know, every cell of my body was just intrigued. But also there was this sense of fear, like, you know, just these animals are incredible. Or I know this sounds really strange. I also love grizzly bears. Really? Uh, oh, anything with a grizzly bear, I am thrilled with. I think it's my Montana roots. And there's so, this. So have you had some grizzly bear encounters? No. 
<laughs> no, seen, but not that. But I remember I was watching a show on grizzly bears um, <laughs> because I love them. And I love grizzly bears, but honest God, I'm intrigued by them. I want to learn about them. But if I was near one, I'd be pushing you down. <laughs> to get away. Irish, Irish, snack on Irish. Uh, <laughs> it does, and that's a little bit of, I'm in awe of them, but also a healthy respect. Anyhow, so with awe does come this healthy respect. So the opposite of fear of the Lord is to dismiss God as tame or irrelevant or as a pet. And so when it says the fear of the Lord is a delight, I like that in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is a delight. It's not terror. Terror is not a delight. I don't like to be terrored. I don't even like those crazy rides. Or it says another thing where the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. God doesn't take pleasure in those who are afraid of him, but delights in those who are in awe. So one of the most common greetings of Jesus is be not afraid. The fear that is terror of what God wants to banish, that's a horrible thing. God wants us to live in awe. So God is love, which results in adoration. But if God is a tyrant, then fear and dread would be the only response. That's what this teenage kid is talking about. He thinks that somehow we're saying God is a tyrant. Um, God wants nothing to do with being terror. In fact, like it says, love casts out all fear. Be not afraid. It's supposed to evoke awe. And one of the scenes in the Bible I just think is hilarious is in the book of Revelation, where in the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God is about to appear. And the Lamb of God is sheer gentleness. And there's this funny scene where when the Lamb was is about to show up, you know, the lamb is self-sacrificing love. It's Christ. Suddenly, all those who are all the horrible people in the world, they start screaming, oh, my gosh, the lamb of God. Is there anything more ferocious? It's, you know, <laughs> it's dangerous. And so they go run and hide. And they're afraid of gentleness and a truth. That's a really odd part. And it strikes me with this whole discussion of fear that, you know, narcissists have no anticipatory pain. So like if you're going to have like a, let's say, some sort of medical procedure and they say, now this is about to hurt, you know, you'd say, oh, don't worry, I can take it. But really your biological responses is that you're freaking out. Yep. That's a normal person, except for narcissists. Narcissists have no anticipatory fear. Really? Um, yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, but here's the really odd part. They're not afraid of that, but they are afraid of judgment. They live in terror of judgment. They can't handle any criticism. Anything that doesn't say that they are the absolute best, they live in fear of. So I, like, I love that scene where in the Lamb of God, the narcissists aren't afraid of anything like the Lamb and its gentleness. They're afraid of its truth. So they would avoid standing before the presence of God, the source of all love and justice. They're afraid of judgment, of being told that they're not perfect. So narcissists, I'd say they can't wrestle with the truth because they can't stand anything that would cause them to question their own opinions. Narcissists can't stand to be proven wrong. But the contrast is true as well. 
nurses have no sense of reverence. They only think of themselves. They're not impressed with anyone other than just themselves. So I think it's really interesting. They have no anticipatory pain, but they also have no reverence. They also have this incredible fear of judgment. To learn anything, you have to admit that you you've got the opinion wrong. So in reverse fashion, the saints in heaven, they're awed by God. You know, where they say, behold the Lamb of God. So love does cast out perfect. Uh, love does cast out fear in the sense of terror, but not fear in the sense of awe. And awe is that feeling of reverence of who God is. And God reveals himself through everything, history, the glories of nature. Awe, fear of the Lord, it's a form of adoration. And years ago, I was over at a friend's house, uh, Tish, and her she's babysitting her nephew. And her nephew runs in. And he was so excited, and he's holding a leaf because it's autumn. And I just loved him. He says, look at this. Look at this. Isn't this amazing? It turned this color. <laughs> and, like, I, it just thrilled us, and we started to laugh because he was so awed at seeing leaves turn color. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear means awe. That's what the kid had. He had this holy awe this holy fear of holy cow. It's like swimming with dolphins. So holy fear is the absolute and incomprehensibleness of the otherness of God. Awe is what one senses in the presence of something profound. So even Einstein, Einstein talked about his work in mathematics as part of the mystery of God. You know, he mentioned he believed in the God of Spinoza, this all-pervasing nature of God. And science was simply sharing in the awe of asking big questions about the world that we're living in. It's asking questions that make us matter. So I just think it's always kind of the same. Einstein lived in awe. To live in awe is to wrestle with truth. Why is the world like this? Look at this leaf. Uh, Oh, no, wait, wait. There's even more. There's more color. There's more knowledge. So, yeah, oddly enough, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge means awe. And if you notice in the Bible, all the characters in the Bible, when they encounter God, it's not terror. It's fear in the sense of awe. Moses at the burning bush. Jacob, when he has that vision from God. So in the Bible, they associate fear with God with love of God. But if you're really awed by God, you want to keep his commands. And you can say, well, that's just hokey. No, it's really not. So I'll give you another example of a scientist. One of my friends, this strange, strange character I became friends with, he's a marine biologist. He is bizarre. He's a short, incredibly stocky guy. You seem to be attracted to bizarre people, Father. I do. they're, They're more interesting. (laughs) <laughs> but like he was this marine biologist who uh, loved science, but he also helped transport alligators. And so when it was time to transport alligators, like he would walk in, out into this alligator pit and he would be walked doing his business, but he'd keep this like stick, this dowel. And when an alligator came up, he'd be like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> and, and he wasn't angry with them. He loved them in this odd sort of way, but he wasn't going to be eaten. But when it came time to transport him, he's the one who would jump on the back, their backs and, you know, get 
his hands under their arms and they taped him together. And like he had no fear of alligators, which is amazing to me. That is amazing. Like, uh, Like no fear in that sense, but he did have incredible awe. He loved it. He loved science. And this sounds kind of strange, but he was raised an atheist. And so he said, well, when did you, how did you discover God? And I forget what it was, but he was looking through a microscope at cells. And I think it was actually milk cells or something. And he remembers just absolutely struck at, at life. That in the cell, there's this thing called life. And it's, what is life? Yeah, and what is life? Where does it come from? How does this happen? How is this? And the more and more he thought about it, the more he studied, the more awe he was struck with it. And he came to believe there has to be God who is a source of life. And he kind of believed in the God of Spinoza as well, this kind of scientist God, where everything's this incredible mystery. And he said, if that is true, if, that there's something incredibly sacred about the, the source of life and life itself, for him, life was sacred. That's why he loved studying it. He said, well, then I've got to do something to protect life. And so like he would buy shoes for the poor, um, help out with the poor. So this odd connection in Deuteronomy where if you have fear of the Lord, awe of the Lord, it results in this observance of morality. That happened with him, with Einstein. So I kind of love that the scientist expresses the love of God through awe and wonder. But in one sense, we all do that. So here's the other part. And I wanted to pick the scientist thing because with awe, with fear of the Lord, there's also something anti-scholastic about it that you realize you don't have all the answers. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's like Socrates. You don't have all the answers. Or Einstein felt that he was living in this huge library of books that create uh, all the universe was a huge library. And He's just been able to read a couple lines. So people who commit the sin of certainty that they know everything, they think they have all the answers about God and life, they have no fear of the Lord. So faith is not this pure intellectual memorized catechetical answers. Faith is really this response of the soul to the great other. Well, you know, you you mentioned in a, in another podcast about, I think that uh, science kind of evolved from the church and Catholicism and faith. It's really this pursuit of awe. Right. It's this realizing, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand, but I want to try to understand. I, 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 you know, I want to go further. I don't want to just stand where I am now and go, you know, this is all I know. It's all I need to know. And I don't want to go any further. Right, that's uh, a sin, I'd say. It's. I, I totally, I mean, I see now how, because I kind of got the sense, because we talked a little bit about this beforehand, why the the other uh, listeners question about the mystery of God, and if it's so mysterious, why do we want to pursue it? Why do we want to try and understand it? I see that totally, how that ties it's into so this enticing. awe. Yes. It's, awe is enticing. It's humbling, and that's the fear part. But it's also enticing. So if God is this great mystery, you have to attempt to learn more. Have, it doesn't matter whether it's history or science. Yes, God is unnameable. That's what the other 
kid was saying that if God's a mystery, why try and study? I get it. God is unnameable, unnameable, but you could say to Einstein, well, if all creation is a huge library and you've only read a couple lines, why even read any more? Then you don't get it what awe is. And even like great mystics, I always love this, great mystics in the middle of their prayer of great mysticism, they would cry out, God is nothing. And what they mean by that is there is no thing in creation that is, a, is like God. There's something unnameable about God. And God. You can say God is like this or like this. But a real experience of God is that God is unnameable. Or Thomas Aquinas, you know, he said all his work was wet straw. And my favorite is the mystic Meister Eckhart, who said a prayer. He was this great mystic. And his prayer was, may God cleanse me of God. And he got in trouble for that. And he said, what do you mean, may God cleanse me of God? What he meant is, may God cleanse him of these false notion of God. That if you're really enraptured with who God is, your notion of God is always getting purified. I mean, even the word Yahweh is a way of saying God is unnameable. So the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain, the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain, you know, unfortunately, I think people have a very immature notion of what that commandment means. But they think it means don't use the GD word, which, okay, okay, I'll agree. Don't use that. But that's actually cussing. And, yeah, I think cussing's wrong, even if I do it. But just to be clear, in case my mother's listening, mother, I'm 100% against cussing. It's wrong. Wrong. <laughs> Don't do and, it, Bill. And, and Father Lynn, I, I promise to cleanse any of the uh, the, the evidence cleanse. that you leave on the podcast so that uh, well, it's, you don't get sideways with your mom. Well, occasionally it does slip out. But uh, unfortunately, we teach kids, oh, taking the Lord's name in vain is basically cussing. And then, okay, yeah, kind of. But it's much greater than that. It's, it's not say the Lord's name. Uh, it's... Don't take the Lord. Don't do things. It's actually a commandment against doing false religion. You know, in the name of God, you commit war and violence and all this other stuff. It's actually, in a way, a commandment against doing poor theology. But you have to do theology because God is such a great mystery. Science, history, philosophy, psychology. It's all this great mystery. I have to dwell into it. I just want to be very careful about humble about what you say about God. You know, it's like if you don't pursue these things, you stop learning about life, about yourself. You stop growing. You stop maturing. You're just you're stalled you right where you are. You're yeah. done. Yeah. So when he says, "Well, if God's a mystery, shouldn't we just not say anything?" Well, I. I feel sorry. Let's just let's let's just try not to figure out anything in our life. I mean, it's almost kind of like that. Sit and stare. Yeah. Uh, No, you have to like. There's this great passion that I hope the kid is struck with someday. That you know, it's it's kind of Sisyphus miss. There's no way I can know it all. I, I know a brain surgeon who said, you know, every time we find out an answer, one thing about how the brain works, it raises ten more questions. Yep. So you're actually kind of moving backwards in some ways, like it's getting more complex. But 
it's so awe-inspiring. So, yeah, that's I love that. the Lord. I, I think this has been awe-inspiring, actually, <laughs> Father Len. I know. I, you know, I don't want you to get a big head or anything here, but uh, I think this is really good. I think that we really have sorted out these questions a bit. Uh, I've learned something from it, and so uh, I really appreciate the feedback from these kids. So I think that's a good way for us to wrap this up, unless you have something else, Father Len. Oh, no, I'm, I'm great. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Wrestling With God show. And if you have questions or comments for us, we really do like to hear from you. Uh, it's helpful to us and I think helpful to our listeners. And all you have to do is just head over to our website, www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com and click on the questions button. We also encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the Wrestling With God show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it helps people discover us. It also means that you will never miss an episode. You'll always get a notification uh, when we publish a new episode. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.